Hi everyone, my name is Laura Mixgiving. I'm a first year biochemistry student and I'll be reading the Bible for us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can follow along in the handout or if you've got your own Bible, that's fine as well. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of dead must also come through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. But when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. 
Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us drink and eat, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne in the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God. He has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour is in the Lord. Well, according to uh, the Sydney Morning Herald in a survey that they did several years ago, uh, a little over half of all Australians believe in life after death. It might surprise you, but I suspect actually it's probably a bit higher than that. Uh, It feels like whenever you see a news report of someone who's died, particularly someone who's died um, early, they've been killed by a shark or some kind of tragedy has happened, you often get sort of language like, uh, they're with the angels now, or they're looking down on us. People seem to have this idea of, your soul goes on beyond death. Uh, And I guess for uh, many Australians, the way they envision that is, uh, there's kind of a heaven above where you go if you've been good, and there's some kind of hell where if you've been bad, probably you need to be very bad, but if you've been very bad, you might go to that. So the question I've got for you is, do you believe in life after death? And the surprising thing about this passage is you discover that the Apostle Paul doesn't. Um, Or rather, he does, but it's not actually what he's interested in. He's not primarily interested in life after death. He's looking forward to life after life after death. And that's why he starts off this chapter reminding them about Jesus' resurrection. It's kind of a funny thing to do, given that the Corinthians are quite proud of their knowledge that Paul says, now, I just need to remind you about something fairly basic. I need to remind you about Jesus' resurrection. And he says to them, uh, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus' resurrection. And he lists all the eyewitnesses uh, to Jesus rising from the dead. So there's Cephas, that is Peter. Cephas is his Greek name. There's the Twelve, so the other original disciples. There's the 500 brothers and sisters, some of whom are still alive. And I think he's saying that because that means you could go and check with them um, about what had happened. There's Jesus' younger brother, James. Then there's the rest of the apostles, uh, who might be those who have been with Jesus from the time of his baptism. And then last of all, Paul says, Jesus appeared to him uh, as to one abnormally born. And the point of it all is that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and that this is of first importance. He did rise from the dead, not as a metaphor, uh, not as a spirit, not as a warm feeling in the hearts of the apostles or something, but as a real physical man, actually physically raised from the dead, flesh and blood, seen and touched by many, many witnesses, hundreds of them. The tomb was empty, the body was raised, nail marks, spear hole, the whole lot. Same body, but different, raised from the dead. Not sort of 
not having entered life after death and come back the way, say, Lazarus uh, seems to have when Jesus raised him from the dead. Lazarus would still die uh, some years down the track. Nor sort of raised from the dead as a spirit or something like that. But actually raised from the dead in the sense of Jesus entered life after death and didn't come back from it, but went through it and came out the other side victorious, having defeated death once and for all, never to die again. Paul's saying, this is of first importance. This is what I told you about Jesus. This is what we know happened. And the funny thing is that the Corinthians seem to be on board with that. They just don't think it will happen to them. So you can see it there in verse 12. He says, But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? It seems to be that they're not denying Jesus' resurrection. They just don't think it will happen to them. Sure, Jesus was raised, but we won't be. Which might sound weird, but when you stop and think about it, it's kind of functionally what lots of Christians believe, I think. So if you're a sort of normal, conservative, Bible-believing Christian, you'll defend to the death that Jesus physically rose from the dead. You've probably got all sorts of uh, answers to people who question you about that. But very often, people who believe that, still what they're looking forward to is dying and going to heaven. In fact, that idea is so common that I think for many Christians, when they hear resurrection, they think it means my spirit ascending to God, going to heaven. But that's not actually what it means. <laughs> resurrection means standing up again, literally. It's uh, what happens to your body. Greeks didn't believe it. In fact, really, the only people who believed it were Jews. But it makes sense, actually, in terms of the God of the Bible. That God's not interested in disembodied spirits kind of floating around on clouds playing harps. He actually likes his material creation because he created it. He intends to restore it. And throughout the whole Bible, the future that God has got planned is not some kind of spiritual, ghostly, wafty kind of thing where we're just kind of floating around on clouds, but a new creation, a real physical, tangible, material creation. Not filled with disembodied spirits, but with resurrected bodies. Us, physically raised from the dead. So yes, there is life after death. If you die before Jesus returns, then uh, your soul will go to be with him in heaven. But that's not actually what the writers of the Bible are looking forward to. They're looking forward to life after life after death. When Christ returns and the dead are raised, body and soul reunited to live together in God's new physical creation. But you could say, okay, well, that's, uh, that's very interesting, Ben. Like, how fascinating. But when it comes down to it, isn't it just kind of theological nitpicking? Like, what does it actually matter? It's all going to wash out in the end, isn't it? You know, he believes in the immortality of the soul. She believes in the resurrection of the body. 
It's kind of a you say tomato, I say tomato kind of thing, you know. Who cares? As long as you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, does it really matter what happens to us? Well, actually, yes, says Paul, it does matter. (laughs) In fact, it matters a great deal. Why? Well, because if you don't believe that God can physically raise the dead, that is, you and me when we die, then it not only undermines the idea of God as creator, it not only means that there's very little to look forward to, it means that, well, if God can't physically raise the dead, if there's some kind of philosophical objection to that happening, then he can't have raised Jesus either. But why does Jesus rise from the dead? Is it because he's God? No. (laughs) That's not why he rises from the dead. He rises from the dead because he's human. That's what happens to humans. So if it can't happen for other humans, it can't have happened for him either. If resurrection is unthinkable, it's unthinkable for everyone, including Jesus. If it's impossible, it's impossible for everyone. You can see it there in verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. But you think, again, is that really a problem? Like, couldn't Jesus just uh, die on the cross, pay the penalty for our sins, and then his soul ascends into heaven, goes to God's right hand. He's still paid for our sins, hasn't he? And so when we die, our souls will go to be with God, and that's pretty great too. But Paul says, no, no, they won't. That's not how it works. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we're not saved, we're stuffed. So he says there in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Why is that? Well, because if Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead, the apostles are liars. They've been going around teaching and preaching that God raised Jesus from the dead. If they're not telling the truth about that, if they're liars or they're just simply mistaken, why would you trust them about anything else? Either way, they're not true spokesmen for God. They're false witnesses. But worse than that, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, why would you trust him? Because he's just another dead guy. There's plenty of dead people. What makes Jesus special? What's a corpse ever done for you? Oh, you know, but he could still be in heaven as a spirit ruling the world alongside God. No, no, he couldn't. Because if Jesus never rose from the grave, he's no different from anyone else. He's still paying the penalty for sin. And the wages of sin is death. If Jesus is still dead, he hasn't defeated sin. If he's still dead, he hasn't conquered death. In fact, death has conquered him. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Jesus isn't Lord. Death is. And so, when you die, you'll die unforgiven, still in your sins. You have no hope, you're lost. And so are all the pathetic, misguided Christians sitting around you who've wasted their whole lives believing in fairy tales about just another dead guy. 
the whole sort of idea of our resurrection, it's kind of like uh, one of the jumpers that I've got at home where there's a little thread sticking out of it and I thought, hmm, I might just pull that out and tidy things up a little bit and uh, started pulling and <laughs> more and more came and by the time I got to the end of it, I'd unraveled a whole bunch of it. That's what happens with our resurrection. You think, oh, that's a bit messy. Let's just tidy that up and we'll pull it out. And suddenly the whole thing unravels and you're left with this whole useless mess that doesn't achieve anything. If the dead aren't raised, then Christ wasn't raised either. And if Christ wasn't raised, death reigns. Well, you may be uh, too young to remember this, but... Some time ago, the artist Sir Mix-a-Lot came out with a song, uh, I Like Big Butts. <laughs> and uh, the biggest butt that you're ever going to find is right here in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Jesus wasn't defeated by sin and death. He defeated them. He has risen from the grave as Lord over everything, even over death. And you might think, well, that's that's lovely for Jesus. That's terrific. He's been raised from the dead. That must be, you know, very nice for him. Certainly preferable to being dead. Uh, nice for his mates as well. Um, good to have their friend alive again. But Paul's saying, no, no, it's more than that. It's not just that Jesus' resurrection is nice for him, a one-off fluke that has no relevance for us. No, actually, he says he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's like the first peach on the tree. When you go and pick it and you eat it and it's delicious, the good news is that that's not the last one. (laughs) If the tree is producing one peach, it's going to produce many. There's a whole crop coming. If Jesus, the man, is raised from the dead, that means that people are raised from the dead. There's no objection to it. But still, how does that work? How does Jesus' resurrection mean that you and I will be raised from the dead? What's the link between us? Well, I try and picture it this way. If you go back to your school days and you uh, imagine a school, a really good school, best school ever. It's got a great principal who's built it with all the best interests of the students at heart. Uh, And he's put a head boy and a head girl in charge of the whole thing. We could call them Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are happily playing in the playground that God has provided for them, the principal has provided And they're enjoying everything their world has to offer. But then this bunch of shady characters come along. And we'll call them sin, death and the devil. And they say, psst, you think this school's good, but it's not. It's actually a prison. You're trapped. And if you just let us in, we can set you free and you'll be able to do whatever you like and it'll be great. Adam and Eve sort of stop and think about it. It seems to make sense and they start to get a bit suspicious of the principle and they open the gates to the playground and they let sin, death and the devil in and ever since 
those three bullies have been beating us up. But then, something happens. One day, a new kid comes to the school. Let's call him Jesus. Turns out he's the son of the principal. And he's strong. Stronger than the bullies. And he's courageous. And he's good. And sin, death, the devil, they try to recruit him to their party, to their gang, but he actually wants nothing to do with them. So they try to beat him up. There's a huge fight, Jesus versus the bullies. And in the end, it looks as though the bullies have won. Jesus is down, bloodied and bruised. Sin, death and the devil are all laughing. They're high-fiving each other, patting each other on the back. We won! But then Jesus, who looks down and out, looks as good as dead, gets up again, stands up, rises, and he opens up a can of whoop-ass. And he gives the bullies this unbelievable hiding. And they are completely defeated, utterly humiliated. Death is so scared that he wets his pants. And it turns out they are no longer rulers of the playground. From here on in, Jesus is Lord. He's one. And here's the critical question. When Jesus defeated the bullies, was it only Jesus who won? No. Because when a bully gets defeated, everyone wins. All you have to do to win victory over the bully at that point is run to the stronger kid and say, I want to be in your gang. And that's what we do with Jesus. We say, we trust you. We want to be in your gang. And Jesus welcomes us. And sin, death and the devil, no matter how strong they might be compared to us, can't do anything. Because Jesus is stronger and he's already defeated. Nearly 2,000 years ago, somewhere around AD 30, Jesus defeated death and he rose to rule at God's right hand. And he will continue ruling there until he destroys sin, death and the devil forever. And then Jesus, the head boy, the son of the principal, the better head boy than Adam, will walk into the principal's office and say, Dad, I've done it. The bullies are gone forever. This place is all yours. And he takes his place as the head boy under the father. And there's total victory for Jesus, for God, and for all who trust in him. Now that is going to be a good day, isn't it? When sin, death and the devil are done away with forever. Can we be sure it will happen? Well, yes, says the Bible, because Jesus has already defeated them. He's already risen from the dead. We've got no doubt that he is stronger than sin, death and the devil. He's already won. But still, say the Corinthians, that, that sounds fantastic. But maybe it's too good to be true. Can we really believe it? Paul's got a couple of answers to that. First, in verses 29 to 34, he points out that if you're Christian, you kind of already believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
The Corinthians might be a bit confused about it, but they instinctively live in line with it, at least in some cases. So he says to them in verse 29, Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? It's a little hard to know exactly what practice Paul is referring to here, this baptism for the dead. Um, Clearly can't be baptising in order that dead people might be saved or something. That would go against everything the Bible says. It might be something like uh, someone who is a Christian believer who's about to die urges their friends and family to put their trust in Jesus because then they will be able to see them again when they're all raised from the dead. It might be something like that. But either way, whatever it is, they're getting baptised for the dead, presumably in the hope of seeing the dead again. And Paul says, well, if there's no resurrection of the dead, why on earth would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. But the Corinthians are doing that. It's the same with persecution. He says, if this life is all that there is, why would you stand firm in the face of persecution? It's crazy. If someone's going to make your life miserable for being Christian and this life is all that there is, well, give in. Like, throw up your hands. Uh, why make your life miserable? You only live once. YOLO. In the end, you're just going to die. So why not enjoy your life? Why suffer for Christ if he can't rescue you from death? But actually... The fact that Christians do stand firm in the face of persecution shows that they already know that Jesus can save them from death. But still, the Corinthians say, resurrection? Really? Like, this body? This body's going to be sort of raised from the dead? Like, how? In what way? Will it have a six-pack? Like, will I have a bigger six-pack? Um... (laughs) What about people who fall into volcanoes and kind of get vaporised? What's going to happen to them? Or fetuses that miscarry or are aborted? I mean, what are they going to look like? Are they going to be an eternal little fetus? And what if I get to 100 before I die? Will I be eternally wrinkly? I mean, come on. Resurrection's a nice idea, but the moment you stop and think about it, you realise it's absurd. It's crazy. What else does Paul... Actually, it's not as crazy as it first sounds. I mean, after all, if you have a look at this thing, it's tiny. It's dark brown on the outside. It's white in the middle. It's hard. It's bitter. But you know what? If you bury it for 80 days, it'll end up being huge and green on the outside, but red in the middle. It'll be soft. It'll be sweet. It'll be delicious. Impossible. That can't happen. That's, that's nothing like that thing there. Well, of course it can. <laughs> it's a watermelon. <laughs> it's, how could humans possibly be resurrected? What will we even look like? Well, says Paul, it's hard to say, but it's not exactly hard to believe once you've seen a watermelon, is it? Hard to say what we'll look like, but we do know that we won't be like animals or birds or fish or stars. We'll be human. 
dead humans turn into resurrected humans, just like dead watermelons turn into watermelons. It's even better than that, Paul says in verse 42. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonour, decayed and gross, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. And that sounds a bit confusing. What is a spiritual body? I don't think he means a spiritual body in the sense of a body that's made out of spirit. Sort of airy-fairy, kind of ghost-like or something. That's clearly not what Jesus' body is like. They're actually able to touch it. No, I think he means it's a spiritual body like we might talk about a steam train. When we talk about a steam train, we don't mean a train that's made out of steam. We mean a train that's powered by steam. And that's what he means by a spiritual body. Not a body made out of spirit, but a body powered by the spirit. At the moment, we're powered by normal, natural life. You take the life out of us, and you get a corpse. But you put the spirit into a corpse, and you get a resurrection from the dead. In fact, the spirit is already in you if you're a believer. So you can be confident that if your spirit is alive, your soul is alive because of the spirit, your body will be alive too. It will be raised from the dead, like a seed springing to life. The same body, but somehow radically different. No longer powered by a life force that can be snuffed out, but powered by the spirit of God himself. Of course, we're not there yet. At the moment, we're still the little seed. We're still flesh and blood. We're still perishable and decaying and weak. Our bodies haven't been transformed by God's spirit, although our souls have. But even those who are still alive when Jesus returns, Paul says, will be changed. We may not all die. Jesus could return at any moment. But when he does, says Paul... The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. It's kind of like going to a party. You know, when you're heading out to an 18th or 21st, uh, you want to spruce yourself up a bit, you have a shower, uh, you put on your deodorant or your perfume, you find your nice clothes... And that's just for an 18th or a 21st. You want to look your best. But that's nothing compared to the party that we're going to have when Jesus returns. That party is going to be so great that nothing less than a new body, imperishable, immortal, will be good enough. And there's something appropriate about having a new body for that party because what we're celebrating is Jesus' victory. His victory over death. Paul says that death was kind of like a, like a wasp or a, a scorpion that kills everyone through sin. But Jesus reaches down and he rips the sting out of death. He humiliates death by removing its power. It can't damage us anymore because the power of sin is gone. 
He humiliates death by undoing all its work, raising its victims from the grave. Not because we're particularly great, but because God has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection isn't merely entering a new stage of life, it's actually entering life. It's entering eternal life. Life that will never end, where death is done away with once and for all. So if that's actually what we're looking forward to, then how should we live now? What should we do? It's a little bit puzzling because, you know, uni's great. Um, you may not be feeling that at the moment with the exams coming up, but uh, enjoy it. But uni's not your future, and neither is work, ultimately. It's not what you should pin your hopes on. You know, I mean, you can work your butt off at uni, you'll get straight at high distinctions, you can become a Rhodes Scholar, you can get an amazing job, but in the end, actually, what does your future hinge on? It's not your achievements. It hinges on Christ's achievement. It hinges on his defeat of sin and death and the devil. What do you actually get to take with you? You get to take your little graduation certificate with straight HDs all down the side? Do you get to take your Rhodes Scholarship with you? Do you get to take your job or any of those sort of achievements? Well, no, actually. So what's worth doing? <laughs> if you don't get to take any of that with you, what's the point? Well, says Paul, there's actually something that is worth doing. Something that's worth putting your time and energy into. It's not that those things are bad. It's not that studying is a bad thing to do. Um, do study for your exams. That's important to get to know more about God's world and you get to rejoice in him. That's uh, definitely worth doing. But he says there in verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. What does he mean? What is your labour in the Lord? Is it building bridges or solving complex quadratic equations or understanding literary theory? No, those things are good things to do. But actually your labour in the Lord is sharing the gospel with people. See, encouraging people in Christ, spurring them on. Because what does resurrection tell you? It tells you that the thing that lasts is people. And particularly, it's people who have put their faith in Jesus. That's what lasts. That's what's worth doing. Because Jesus has defeated death. He's won the victory for us. And he'll return one day to destroy death forever. And the future of the world is not simply a continuation of this one, nor is it some kind of ghostly spiritual realm. The future is actually real physical people living in a real physical world, freed from death, by Jesus to enjoy life with him forever. So if that's what the future holds, isn't that 
what's worth doing now. If Jesus is Lord, isn't life about him now? If people are the things that are raised from the dead, aren't they the ones worth living for now, sharing the gospel with, letting them know about Jesus, so they can join him in the resurrection as well? Jesus defeated death, then life is all about him and his gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has defeated death once and for all. We don't need to be afraid of it. That we can live life confidently, knowing that he is in charge of all things and that he will save us from death, raise us to live with him forever on the last day. Amen.